Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name because, Lord, it's the only name under heaven which with men might be saved. And it's in that name that we not only have eternal life, but we also have the assurance and promise of heaven. And it's in that name that the promised Holy Spirit has come that strengthens us and guides us through this treacherous life. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would prepare everyone's heart who's here this morning to receive your truth. And I ask, Father, that you would anoint and use me to minister to these, your children. Because, Lord, I know so very well that on my own I have nothing to share. But by your Holy Spirit, I might share those things which you have laid out clearly in your word. And so come and minister to each one of us, I pray in Jesus, Yeshua's name, amen and amen. Um, ladies, don't forget to check the Secret Sisters basket, okay? If you are signed up for Secret Sisters, don't forget to check it. Um, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about, Pastor Frank's message this morning was really very powerful. You want to listen to it. And, of course, he really railed on men this morning. And so I thought it's equal opportunity that I would just maybe go after women a little bit too. But anyway, the point I'm getting at is we have to understand what the Word of God is all about. Number one, we have to understand it's the Word of God. It's not just a book. It's not some, you know, translation. It is the Word of God to man. And God gave us His Word for one purpose, that through it He might speak to us on an everyday basis. I mean, He speaks to us spiritually and in our hearts as well, but He speaks to us through His Word on an everyday basis. And if you study the Word of God, you find some things that are very clear. The Word of God is always showing us the way to go. And the Word of God is always showing us what happens when we don't go the right way. And the Word of God is always showing us that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial system in, in the Old Testament, we can come back onto that path. Because, you see, a pastor is just one sinner leading other sinners in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm not here to be the one who's telling you what to do and not to do. I'm just referring to what God's Word says. And you know, um, according to my opinion, I think the world is in a position in a place it's never been before. It's more perverse than I've seen in my 76 years of life. And some of you that might be older than me, I probably none. But anyway, some of you that might be older than me, you would probably say the same thing. And how did we get this this way? How did we come this far? I mean, literally, as Scripture says, good is taken for evil, and evil is taken for good. And those of us that stand on the goodness of God's Word are really looked down upon and, and really were ridiculed and even persecuted because of the way we feel. But this life, this world, has become absolutely insane. You know, Pastor Frank Jr. was talking about you know, everything that was going on in the world and, and how it has, um, you know, affected men and, and uh, how, you know, far off they have allowed themselves astray because of temptation and so forth. But we have to realize that people are divided politically, morally, and also ethnically, and even by skin color. And that is absolutely sin. It is against God's word. As children of God, we are one in the spirit. 
There's no such thing as different kinds of, of people. We are all one. We are all the same. No difference. And to me, it's kind of sad because what's happening is Satan is working in a backhanded way, and he's causing more division in this nation than maybe we've ever seen by putting this group against another group, when the fact is we are one group. We are one blood in Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us. And we have to hang on to that. And you know, <laughs> it, it seems like um, we've gotten to a place where people literally hate those that don't agree with their agenda, their politics, their agenda, right? I mean, it used to be we could have differences of opinion and we'd argue back and forth and discuss politics or, you know, whatever it might be. And we just, but now, if someone doesn't agree with you, they hate you. And if you say you don't agree with them, then you're accused of hate speech. I mean, it's absolutely insane. You know, as far as the morality of our nation is concerned, Pastor Frank was talking about, you know, the fact that men have always dealt with these kinds of things. But consider, um, in the 80s, and I'm not going into any details, so don't get nervous, parents. In the 80s, less than 5% of women viewed porn. It's now 43%. They even have sites just for women. The number of women who have affairs are equal to the number of men who have affairs. And the point I'm getting at is Satan is not a discriminator between men and women. He goes after both. He wants to destroy both. And that's why our focus has to be on the Lord. Because, um, as Frank mentioned, there are many things in this world that brings temptation. And the reality is, you and I never come to a place where we are immune to temptation. You know, like Pastor Frank was saying, you know, some, for a guy, some beautiful woman walks by, you know, he's going to notice her. He doesn't have to Google over her, or turn around and follow her or anything like that, but he's going to notice her. It's just natural. And when you see people that have things that maybe you don't have, you might be a little bit envious of them and wish you had them. So these kinds of temptations are always there. But what the Lord, our God, creator of heaven and earth, wants to give us is contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, I have a wife. Many of you have wives. Many of you wives have husbands. Contentment. What do we want more? What do we want different? You know, some of us have this car and have, some of us have that kind of car, contentment. Some of us have bigger houses, some smaller houses, contentment. The whole point is to just be content with what you have because if godliness with contentment is great gain, then if you don't have contentment, it seems the converse would also be true. You'd always be looking for something else, wanting something else rather than simply what you have. Now, once again, um, when covering portions like we're going to be looking at this morning, portions of Scripture, we must search out how it applies to us today. And to understand the meaning of Scripture is much more than memorizing Scripture or having some kind of an academic knowledge of it. Well, I know that first in the original Greek and Hebrew. It's a lot more than that. It is actually by the Holy Spirit that we understand and know Scripture. In 2 Timothy, if you take notes, chapter 3, and verses 16 through 17, it says this. All Scripture. Now, how, how much is included in all Scripture? All, yeah. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for inspiration of God, and is profit, I'm sorry, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is what equips us. This is what makes us ready to be able to do what God has called us to do. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, it says this, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When you're born again of the Spirit, the Spirit of our Lord, the Spirit of our Christ, the Spirit of our God dwells within your heart, your inner man, your cardiac. That's what we have being born again. And he is able to instruct us and to encourage us and to show us when we're going off the path. You know, it's interesting. When we're, like, driving on vacation, um, before GPS, I had a wife that would say, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> Need to turn around. You're going the wrong direction. But the reality is God's word is always leading us and giving us the right instructions. Because we have to understand that the world is getting to a place that, you know, it really makes us very anxious, doesn't it? I, we were talking about, because there are some people in our church that are going to be having babies, we were talking about this the other night, and um, Vi and I did that far ago. I mean, when, when our daughter Stacy was born, we did what was called husband coach, coach childbirth. The Bradley Method. You know what husband coach childbirth is? I'm glad it's you, not me. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> husband coach childbirth is when the husband learns what a woman is going through during every stage of her, of her delivery, and he's able to encourage her. And there's very rarely a woman who feels really prepared. She's read all the, all the material, and she really feels ready. But boy, when it really comes to that place, to that point when her contractions are becoming more and more severe, that she's not saying, hey, is there any way I can go back on this? <laughs> but you can't. And of course, the outcome is beautiful. And the point I'm getting at is we say, you know, I know Jesus is coming back soon. I can't wait that Jesus is coming back soon. And then all the contractions start happening, and they start becoming more severe. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman's cell, shall be the coming of the Son of Man, Right? And so as these labor pains get more and more serious, we're like, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. Let's go for it. Let's get through transition and push. <laughs> the point I'm getting at, we're going to be with Jesus before all this really falls down. So in Deuteronomy 24, starting with verse 10, I'm picking up where Frank almost got to. And... Uh, <laughs> In Deuteronomy 24, verse 10, when you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. And if a man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. You shall, in any case, return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. And it, will be, and it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. Understand, everything we do is to please the Lord. 
We don't do things to feel good about ourselves or to show off. Or to, it's everything we do should be to please the Lord. Verse 14, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. We don't make distinctions. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you and the, uh, 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 to the Lord, and it be sin to you. He didn't give him what he deserves. He didn't give the worker his wages. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert justice uh, uh, due to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment and pledge. In other words, a man's garment, you could take it and pledge, but then it was used. You have to realize that they had like a cloak that they, that they wore, and it was for warmth, it was for protection, it was for a lot of things. And uh, today, you know, we open the closet and say, what are we going to wear? Most of the people in that day, especially the poor people, they didn't have to open a closet because they didn't have a closet. What they were going to wear, they already had on. And so they didn't have blankets and, you know, down stuffing and all that thing like we have today. They would get in their beds and wrap themselves, which is just, you know, a mat they put on the floor, and wrap themselves in their garment to keep warm. So that's why it's talking about that. And, um, but for a, a woman, if a widow made a pledge, you took no security. That was a kindness that you were showing towards her circumstance. And we should always be showing kindness towards people's circumstances. Verse 18, but you shall remember, uh, you shall remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God re um, reminded you, or, or I'm sorry, redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands, because you care for those who have need. Verse 20, when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the bow again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. Once again, caring for the needy. Verse 21, when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterwards. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were, all, you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do, do these things. And we have to be reminded that we were all slaves to sin. Every single one of us, we were slaves. And Jesus Christ came to set us free. And so we should have the same compassionate heart towards others. But we have a tendency to be so judgmental. Well, yes, I'm such a good Christian now, and I don't do this and I don't do that, but look at them. Look at those horrible pagans. That's not the mind of Christ. That's not the charity of Jesus Christ. Even in speaking of how perverse our world has become, and it has, our attitude towards people who are lost should always be love. You know, Pastor Frank mentioned in the first service, he said, you know, we could have homosexuals, transvestites, we could have, you know, uh, uh, prostitutes, we could have all kinds of sinners coming into this church, and we'd welcome them. You know why? Because we have the answer to their condition. Forgiveness of sin, filled with the Holy Spirit and guidance to new life. 
That's the attitude we have to have. And when a brother, friend, or neighbor borrows from us, we have to understand it's because they have need. You know what I mean? Someone doesn't come up to you and say, hey, can I borrow your 2007 Pontiac Solstice? And I say, why? You have a 2021 Corvette in your, in your driveway. Why do you want to borrow? You understand what I'm saying? When people come to borrow something, it's because they have need. And because they have need, when we give, it's always out of charity, and it should be out of love. We're never giving to gain a profit. At least we shouldn't. And um, in James chapter 2, in fact, why don't you turn to that? Way towards the end of your Bible. James chapter, chapter 2. James chapter 2, and I'm picking up with verse 14 here. I'm going to read verses 14 through 17 in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, starting with verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? In other words, put his faith into practice. Can faith save him? Listen to this. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, and what does that profit? Thus your faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know, someone comes up to you, they have some great need, and you have the... I mean, you might, not, you might not have the ability to fulfill that need, but someone comes to you that has great need, and you have the ability to fulfill it, and you say, I'll pay, pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sister. What is that? What, what kind of heart is that? If we have the ability, we give. And you know, uh, it made, made me think of uh, just now... This is something that took place many, many years ago. It was even before I was in the ministry. Vi and I were relatively new Christians. And uh, the church we were going to, there was, a there was a couple in the church that had saved up money, saved and saved for their dream vacation. And probably about two weeks before they were ready to leave on their dream vacation, a freak tornado went through Big Flats, New York, back in those days. And it ripped the um, whole roof off of a trailer of a family in our church that was not well off. They had like four children or something like that. And they had no insurance to cover it. <laughs> and this couple gave them their vacation money that they'd been saving up for years to put a new roof on their house. I never forgot that. And we're talking more than 40 years ago. How many years ago? Way more than 40 years ago that happened. I never forgot it. Why? Because it was not only an act of kindness, it was a sacrifice. They gave sacrificially. Their dream. This person's need. What comes first? It was just a beautiful thing that I never forgot. And so we have to understand that being willing to help someone does not take responsibility from the person we're helping. If we're helping someone out 
and they have an ability to pay us back, they should do it when that ability comes. But maybe they'll never have an ability to pay us back. And when we give to help someone out, we give with open hands. Here it is. You know, if someday you're able to pay me back, great. If you're not, no problem. And also, I love this. It says if you take something and pledge, you have to return it to them that they might keep warm. Well, if we take anything and pledge for someone, you know what? We need to give it back to them if it's a necessity of their life. You can't be so harsh as many people can be. Because we often take many things for granted that might be another person's means of survival. Do you know what I'm saying? We just take it for granted. But for them, it's survival. I remember way back when I first started teaching, and um, my, my teaching salary with a master's degree was under $100 a week. <laughs> I mean, if you were working... Anyway, the point... It was just, but also, uh, to be honest, our house payment was $93. We had a house bill, it was 93 bucks. But anyway, the, the, the point I'm, I'm getting at is the, fact is the fact that we might not have much, it doesn't mean that we can't give to others. And it might not be money, it might not be anything of a material way. It could be of our help, of our encouragement, of our going over their house, of babysitting for them whatever it might be. Now, a man's house was to be his domain. You know that old saying, that old euphemism, a man's house is his castle? Well, to go in to get that pledge would disrespect that man's, man's house and embarrass him in front of his family. So you couldn't even go in. When you had a pledge, the man would bring it out to you, but you couldn't go in. And if the man didn't have the pledge to return, you didn't go in and beat him up. You just didn't get it. That's what this portion is, is making clear to us. Kindness and mercy are always better than hostility and revenge. You know, there's an old hymn that has a line in it that I love. And uh, we will work side by side and guard each man's dignity. We will work side by side and guard each man's dignity. Also, it tells us not paying our employees on time was forbidden. Because it might mean nothing to us, but it could be their daily food. That's what this portion just brought out. Sir, so we're living in a world where many people live hand to mouth. Even in our nation, there's many people that live hand to mouth. They live paycheck to paycheck. We use that terminology today. And so we have to realize that we have that responsibility. If we hired someone to do work, you pay them. You know, like you have someone come in your house that has their own, own business, you know, you know, whatever, and they come in and they, they do the work, and you say, well, you know what, I have to wait till next week to pay you. That's not right. Don't have them come in until you're ready to pay them. And so that's a responsibility that we have. And, um, but, of course, it's not referring giving to those that are lazy. We have in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So, in other words, it's not a matter of just, there are some people that are just takers. And sometimes you have to be willing to take a stand. 
You know what I'm saying? All of us probably know people like this. They're always taking from this one, from that one, from this one, from that one. But on the same hand, we can't even develop a hard heart towards them. Because God can change anyone. He can change anyone and turn them, turn them around. And I love that it tells us the father shall not be put to death for his children. Where's Frank? No, just... <laughs> but anyway, a father shall not be put to death for the children. Neither shall the children be put to death for the father. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. <clears throat> you see... At the time this was written, when a child becomes an adult, they were subject to all the criminal laws of the Bible. Whatever the Bible said, they were under that kind of, um, of commitment. And, uh, you know, the old euphemism, like father, like son, that often is true, but not always. Sometimes you have a good father who has a bad son, and sometimes you have a bad father that has a good son. But the reality is, God can save anyone if they would just turn to him. Think of uh, Josiah, one of the best kings. And his father was Ammon, the son of Manasseh. And it says Ammon was as evil as his father Manasseh. And Manasseh was the most evil king in, in the northern kingdom. And yet, the southern kingdom. And yet, you have, you know, um, Josiah was... A wonderful king, loved the Lord. He was only eight years old when his father died. Now, the wonderful thing to remember is that anyone can repent and be as different as night is from day. We always have to remember that Jesus Christ became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Any of us, through the love of God and through the humbleness of our own heart can be changed. <clears throat> you know, they used to say, well, religion is just for the poor and ignorant. No, I would say, you know, religion is for those um, who see the truth, who are able to recognize the reality of the world around them. And those that hate religion, what good does it do them? You th think of how hateful this world has become towards anything that's of God. And look at where the world's going. I don't think any of us would look around the world and say, wow, boy, I'll tell you what, in the last 40 years, things have gotten so much better. They've gotten worse and worse and worse. And the thing we have to understand, and I'm not trying to get on any kind of a hobby horse here or anything like that, but the reality is we have our children, and quite often we're sending them away. Good parents can overcome this by church and strong Bible study and teaching and so forth. Okay, I understand what I'm saying. But you have like nominal Christian parents, they send their kids off to, to public school, and they're there in public school many more waking hours than they are at home. You follow what I'm saying? And so who has a bigger influence on them? Now, I used to be a high school teacher and principal, so I'm not just talking you know, whimsically, I know what I'm talking about. The school system is absolutely anti-Christian. I mean, you can, you can practice and say almost anything in the public schools, but you better not mention Christ and Christianity. I mean, they have all the holidays for all these other religions, and they even sometimes dress like it and mock them out in the schools, but I don't mean mock in a, in a um, 
making fun of them. I mean, dressing like it and having prayer blankets, all this kind of stuff. And yet, if you wanted to have an Easter resurrection gathering in the school, it, would not, it, it wouldn't happen. And so we have to realize what our children are subjected to. But we also have to understand what are we subjected to. We think, well, we're adults. It doesn't. Yes, it does bother us. It bothers us a whole lot. It's like I mentioned in a message a few weeks ago. It's called gradualism. I mean, Christians have allowed themselves to be involved in and to do things that not too many years ago, it would have shocked them. But gradualism, gradualism. You know, I think sometimes it would be a good thing for us to pull back and to let some of this world pass us by and just get back to the, to the old ways. There's a verse of Scripture that talks about that, getting back to the old path. And we need to get back to the old path. You know, why is it so hard for us to sit down in the evening, open our Bibles, and read a chapter or two and have a great discussion with our spouse, and yet it's so easy to turn on some TV show or movie that's on TV that blasphemes God and is completely immoral, and we just sit there like oblivious to it. I think it's time to get back to the old roads. I think it's time for the church to wake up because the time we're living in requires an awake church more than any other time in history. Why? Because the world is going down the tube. And yet there are those out there that are reaching for help. Well, we need to be ready to throw them the life jacket of Jesus Christ. Only he can save. Now, we have to always remember that everything is the Lord's. So when it talks about not cleaning your, you know, if you leave a sheaf in the field, leave it there. If, when, once you've gone over and, and collected your olives, leave the rest there. And once you've gone over, you know, picking your grapes, leave the rest there for, for the poor, the fatherless, and the widow. Leave them there for them. Because everything we have, God has given to us. So it's not ours to give or to hang on to. It's his to give. And he said, don't go back. Give it to the poor. It's his to give, not ours. And um, we have to understand, you and I are only stewards of what God has given us, including our children. But go in Scripture and find out the difference between a good steward and a bad steward. We're to be stewards of everything God has given us. And God has given us commands to look around and see the needs of others. Because here's, here's the problem sometimes, I, I believe anyway. I mean, there are times that we're willing to look and see someone in the church and say, well, they have a need and I, I really want to help them and it really makes me feel good to do that. But what about if you have a neighbor who isn't even of your faith? Maybe they're of a faith that hates Christianity and they have a need. Well, they're not believers. They're not open. I'm not going to waste my time and effort and money. No, no, no. You go to them and you give. Do you know how many people have been won to Jesus Christ by the kindness of others rather than people just blap, 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 blap? It's amazing. And so we have to be willing to have that kind of kindness as is mentioned here. Don't glean all your fields. 
Don't pick all your olives or all your grapes. Leave some for the poor, for the destitute, for the widow. Leave some for them. And then we'll have riches in heaven that we can't even contain. Because here's the bottom line. Think about this, brothers and sisters. We're all going to stand before Jesus, either at death or the rapture. Every single one of us, we will stand before Jesus. I want to stand before Jesus and have him say, his name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He's mine. That's what I want to hear. I didn't want to hear, well, you know, he saved so much money and he owned this industry and he did this and he did that. I just want to hear, you know, Lamb's book of life. Blessed are you. Enter into your Father's rest. That's what I want to hear. That's all I want to hear. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and thank you for your word and the truth that we find in it. And it's inexhaustible, Lord. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, minister the things that we have studied this morning and encourage us that we might walk in all your ways. And I pray, Lord, too, that you would prepare our hearts for what we call the Lord's table or communion, that you would use it to encourage us and to minister to us. And we thank you, Father, for this sacrament. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as a little educational piece, in order to be considered a sacrament, it had to be something that Jesus taught and participated in. There's only two sacraments in the Bible, and that is communion and baptism. Those are the only two. Jesus participated in both of those, and he taught both of those to be continued. And so when we take communion, it's an opportunity for us. We usually have on communion tables, it says, in remembrance of me, which is found in Scripture, in Corinthians. So when we take communion, we're, we're remembering everything he did. And, and it, should, it should absolutely grip our hearts. He died for me. I'm going to heaven because of him. How amazing. That, that's why it was so beautiful. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took unleavened bread, which is what this is, and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm laying everything down for you. I'm giving everything for you. For no other reason that we might be saved and be with him for all eternity. And not, ought not we do the same for one another? That's what scripture teaches us. Father, I pray that you would bless this communion to our spirit's understanding. And it might encourage us in our walk with you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers. new creed.
You know, some people have asked me, is it okay for children to take communion? Yes. The parents teach them, but yes. Jesus didn't say, let the little children come unto me after they've taken catechism classes. Come. Children are more innocent than we are, and they're always welcome to share in communion with us. So remember, his blood was shed that your sins might be forgiven. And he gave us the unleavened bread 
as the purity of his word that you and I might grow in our faith and in our knowledge of him. This world is passing away, but you and I in Jesus Christ have eternal life, and he's given this to us as a remembrance of all that he's done. So take, eat, and drink, and do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this sacrament that is a sacrament of love, a sacrament that you gave to us as a reminder. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would continue always loving you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I ask, Father, that as you dismiss us, you dismiss us with your blessing, and that your love and peace would fall upon each one of us. And I pray and ask this in Jesus, Yeshua's name, amen. And if there's anyone here who does not know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Come and see me, Pastor Frank Jr., or any believer in here, and they'll share the truth with you. And also, we have our covered dish dinner downstairs, and all are welcome to come. God bless you.